are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, my everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 166. Uh, guys, like I told you, I had a strong week planned for you all. We're going to continue it here this evening. Uh, you know, Ryan McChrystal, my, Ryan McChrystal from Bleacher Report has been here with us here before. We're going to go into another draft positional breakdown tonight with the quarterback position. Interesting class, and a lot of people, you know, as far as you know, stacking their classes this year, a lot that they want to talk about, you know, is you know, everyone says you know the meat potatoes of the draft is probably that second round area, and you know how everyone's going to view it. it, it that's where it's going to change with positions like cornerback, like wide receiver, like running back. That's where a lot of these guys are going to fit in from the second into the you know mid third round. So that's going to you know obviously affect a lot of rankings, and it's also going to where you're going to see a lot of differing in opinion. Everyone's kind of got a a sound base as to who they're you know top ten, top fifteen maybe in this class. Obviously, we're still waiting for the final you know round is the combine, so we'll get to cornerbacks. Uh, Ryan, first off, man, how's everything going? Uh, you know, it's been a little bit, been a better week or so. How are you, bud? Everything's going well. Thanks for having me back. Uh, no, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, obviously you with your Browns roots here. Uh, you know, look, it, it, things are going well now. Everybody's listening. These guests keep coming in week in, week out. You guys have been bringing great information, which makes me look good, which I'm totally appreciative. Uh, like I said, we're going to hit the quarter, quarter, uh, cornerback position here this evening. But it is always rare when on a February 15th of the NFL, you know, of the calendar year, you get NFL news that isn't bad. You know, somebody didn't get arrested, none of that nature, something that's going to shake up a roster from that point. But we did get some news that A.J. McCarron has, you know, uh, been granted free agency. So yet, like I was just mentioning before we started the show, it's it's we got a lot, a lot of quarterback options this year, which is something we don't normally get to talk about with an NFL offseason. But between free agency and the draft, here's yet another name. And God knows A.J. McCarron will tell you he should be one of the top names in this group. Yeah, I mean, A.J. McCarron... It's kind of shocking that he is getting hyped up as much as he has been so far. I, I know I was surprised to see some of the takes people were having that the Browns should actually target him and then not even draft a quarterback in the first round. That that blew me away to see some of that. But it is exciting to have him out there as an option because obviously we know that some guys on the coaching staff like him and have worked with him. Um, and if they want to bring him in as a stopgap option, I, I'm not a, against that. Ryan, you're not hearing me. Oh, all right, here we go. Uh, yeah, no, that's, so that's the thing. Um, and the thing, the weirdest thing is, sorry, guys, so we're having a little technical difficulties there. Um, the, the thing is, is A.J. McCarron, you know, here's a guy who's a fifth-round pick. And it's interesting. Everybody wants to make the connection to, you know, Cleveland because of Hugh Jackson. Um, I'm not sure if it was you. Somebody brought it up this weekend. Now, you keep in mind that the new general manager in Cleveland, John Dorsey, was in a position where he could have taken A.J. McCarron and actually drafted Aaron Murray out of Georgia over him. Not really sure where Aaron is these days, but God bless him with whatever he's doing. So it's interesting that you're going to have extremes here. You know, obviously, you know, Hugh, as much as he loved him, you know, you have a GM here who passed over him five rounds. So it's going to be interesting whether or not he is a fit. Everybody wants to make that fit because of Hugh. I pray we're not making decisions with Hugh Jackson in mind anymore. Uh, Sashi Brown, one more time. Uh, again, thanks for stopping that trade on Halloween. Because uh, you know, could have been a second and a third round pick for a guy who would have been, uh, you know, been granted free agency about three months later. So Sashi Brown, one more gift for the grave. It'll be fun to monitor that second and third round pick to see who these players turn out to be and how it affects this Browns' future going further. So maybe you know, after all, Sashi Brown will have some effect on the 2018 class. 
of what we've seen, and it is a very small sample size, and it hasn't been that terrible, but some thoughts actually on A.J. McCarron, the player, Ryan. Well, it's kind of hard because we really haven't seen a whole lot of him since he was <laughs> at Alabama. Um, so I think the only fair thing I can really do is go back to you know my evaluation of him coming out of Alabama. So I was looking back on that yesterday when the news broke he was going to be available, and I actually thought it was kind of funny that I found one of the first things I wrote about him was saying that he was, he was probably going to be an Andy Dalton type player in the NFL. Of course, he goes and he backs up Dalton for a few years. Um, and, and I still feel the same way based on what we saw. That he came in, he led the Bengals offense, and it pretty much looked the same as it did under Andy Dalton. Um, so, you know, it's reasonable to think that he can be a starting quarterback in the league. Um, he did an all right job when he was given the opportunity. He looked like he had that potential in him when he was in college, but he's never done anything at any point in his career, college or pro, to show that he could be a franchise quarterback. So I think the suggestions out there that the Browns should build around him now are just, they're just crazy. Uh, and that's the thing, because I mean, first things first. I mean, even look, there's a there. I would say there's you know definitely a possibility he comes here, but if he does get other offers, and you look at a team like the Arizona Cardinals, who right now do not have a quarterback on their roster, if there's some you know interest there, and now with Arizona holding the 15th pick in the draft, that's a better option for AJ McCarron. Uh, you know, it, it's probably a little more security of the playing time and the contract he gets with the contract he gets. You know, with Cleveland. Um, you're still going to take a quarterback at one. I, I don't know why. I mean, A.J. McCarron shouldn't convince you otherwise. I mean, you'd be foolish you know, to you know, think that's going to secure you and take you out of that running. Uh, and then, again, there's no possibility that maybe he doesn't you know, beat out the number one pick or possibility that Deshaun Kaiser you know, gets himself on a better role and you know, Deshaun Kaiser playing confident and understanding you know, the offense better. I think he'd look better in practices, and I think he'd look better in exhibition games. So, you know, hopefully there's going to be better options for A.J. McCarron, and maybe now that he'll have free agency, hopefully from Brown's perspective, he'll find one. You know, the guy himself, A.J. McCarron, was just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, it's hard when you're a guy from Alabama to make it look like it's all about you. It's like, come on, there's, there's 25 great players on the roster. It's not one guy, and it seemed like A.J. kind of carried himself like that. There was a story I had Mark Schofield on last night that uh, the Patriots actually brought him in for a pre-draft meeting. And he basically came in there like, well, I don't know what you need another starting quarterback for. You got Tom Brady. So, you know, I mean, and you know, you keep in mind the Nick Saban and the Bill Belichick, you know, the cohesion there between those two guys. So for him to go in there, like, you know, that, you know so you just, it's just guys just always rub me the wrong way from that standpoint. And, you know, look, we all have our guys that we get that way with. Uh, but we are going to move on and... This is an interesting cornerback class. Um, you know, we have you know Josh Jackson, a guy who's newer to to, to the party here. Uh, you have some guys like McFadden and Alexander, who came into this year extremely well thought of. Alexander with injuries, McFadden, the entire Florida State team kind of fell off the map because uh, you know everything fell apart against Alabama. So I guess I'll start here, uh, Ryan. Maybe you know focus maybe at you two guys here at the top of this group. Yeah. So just sort of touching briefly on it as a whole, um, it's kind of similar to what we talked about last time I was on with the wide receiver class, and the, the top of it isn't necessarily a whole lot of superstars, but the depth in rounds two and three is elite, and I think that's perfect for the Browns, because they're probably not going to get one way at the top, um, unless they take Minka Fitzpatrick and think that he's a cornerback, but they're probably not going to get a cornerback early, but there's so much depth from the twos from on day two, so... 
I already mentioned him, Minka Fitzpatrick. Just right off the bat, I'll say he's not on my cornerback draft board. I, I don't. I think he can play there, but when you have a guy who is so good at safety and so versatile there, I don't know why you would waste his talent at the position that he isn't as good at. So, if the Browns take a number four, I'm all for that. That's fine. I just hope he doesn't play cornerback. So I'll kind of skip over him and go to. The, I've got sort of my cornerbacks in tiers right now because that's oh. what, this is one of the positions where I care a lot about the combine. I want to make sure that the guys are quick that they've got the long, the deep speed to stay with guys down the field. I think the combine is fairly important at this position. So at this stage, I haven't kind of broken into tiers, and the only guy I have in my tier one is Denzel Ward. Um, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen him play plenty at Ohio State. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I love his athletic ability. I love his footwork and agility. He, he's got the tools um, to make up for his mistakes, which I think is so critical for the elite cornerbacks because – you know, your job is basically to chase a guy around the field, and you're going to make mistakes. It's impossible not to. And to really be in that elite level, you have to have the ability to make a false step and to quickly recover, spin your hips around, and make up ground. And he has that. But on top of that, he's also fundamentally sound. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So a lot of times he's right there in position. He contests a ton of passes. He does a great job of finding the ball rather than just playing the man, which is something that. We've seen some Ohio State quarterbacks criticized for in recent years that, that they have played the man, like they kind of coach him up to do there. But Ward does a really good job of actually turning around and contesting those passes at a higher level than some other of his former teammates. And I think all those things combined, despite the fact that he isn't real tall, I think he's legitimate number one. You can put him on an island. I think he can be a star. Uh, I was talking actually somebody the other day, and they said, um, you know, well, if you do have concerns about Denzel Ward's size, you know, did you like Jason Verrett? If you like Jason Verrett, then just kind of let it go. And like you said, though, I mean, the athleticism to overcome, you know, will overcome the fact that, you know, maybe he, I mean, obviously he's not going to be six feet. We're hoping we hear 5'10". A lot of people say it might be closer to 5'9". But, you know, if you've got the elite flip, you know, the elite flip of the hips, and, you, you know, if he does run in the, you know, mid to high three, four threes, which people are expecting, it should it shouldn't change your view on anything you've seen on him on film. Yeah, definitely. When you've got that kind of athleticism to make up for your mistakes, it it can hide a lot of deficiencies. And you know the fact that he doesn't have a lot of height, we did see occasionally some guys got over the top of him, and that's just something that you're going to have to live with. Um, but you know if you're on a good roster, if you've got some depth, you can strategize around that. You know, don't put him on somebody, uh, you know, like don't put him on Mike Evans in the red zone, you know, adjust your assignments. Maybe if you do have, you know, like a Minka Fitzpatrick on your team, for example, like if you've got a shorter cornerback like that, you make that adjustment. You put a bigger guy on someone, you know, like a Mike Evans or a Julio Jones, a red zone receiver, you know, that's a situation where Ward's going to struggle. But you know, I think good coaching staffs, especially if you got depth in your roster, you're going to find a way to cover that up. Well, and just in the same respect, you're not going to take a six foot two cornerback and expect him to chase Antonio Brown all day, you know, around all day. Yeah. So exactly. You know. So you absolutely, you know, you have to scheme for, you know, what fits best that you have. Um, guys, locked on Browns. Oh, look, everybody's in town, guys. Uh, pitchers, catchers, you know, positional players are now in. Spring training is finally here, and and I say this on pretty much every show now when I promote the Locked On MLB Network. The best thing about baseball season being back is. It gets us this much faster to the draft. And there's even days like yesterday just got monotony. Pete Briscoe put out a mock where he put Josh Allen 1 to Cleveland. 
And of course, like a smart writer, he put the mock out and just ran away from Twitter for a few hours. I had people bombarding me up until midnight. My wife was just laughing, just absolutely laughing at how insane people can get about this. So, uh, no, so baseball, glad you're back. Locked on Major League Baseball. Guys, check it out. Your favorite team. Almost everyone's covered. Everyone will be covered and up and running by opening day. So go ahead, check out Lock on MLB. Find your favorite team. Follow the uh, network along. So, Ryan, as you were mentioning, maybe, uh, you know, dip on down now or here to Tier 2. Yeah, so I'll just touch on one of the guys that I really like that I don't think is going to be an option for the Browns. Well, he could be. Um, Mike Hughes, um, the cornerback out of UCF. I, I think he can play on the outside, and I'm I'm a huge fan of his. If the Browns got him, I would be excited. But I think a lot of teams are going to view him as a slot cornerback. He's really physical despite his lack of size, and he's got exceptionally quick feet. I think he'd be an elite player in the slot. But, of course, the Browns have Body Calhoun there, and he had a great season. And yeah, I that's think not the, That's not the one cornerback position you're looking up for right now. Exactly. So if the Browns view him as a slot cornerback and they have concerns about him playing on the outside, maybe he's not a target. But I just wanted to mention him just because I'm such a fan, and I'll be a fan of his wherever he ends up at the next level. But some guys that I think the Browns could target, I think that they should try to get some to play on the outside, some guy with a little bit more size and length. Um, and one guy that I think I've actually mentioned on a previous podcast that we did, and a guy that I know that you're going to like, is Tavares McFadden out of Florida State. I love his size. I think he's an ideal press corner. The downside with him is you probably need to protect him over the top. He doesn't have the deep speed to run with some faster guys. Like You're not going to put him on Antonio Brown and expect him to cover him on an island. But I think he's so good when he's able to be physical. Like he's the type of guy that you could put on, like a Mike Evans in the red zone, and trust him in those in that situation. He's great at that. He finds the ball. He's got some interceptions. Got good hands. I think that that's the type of receiver, or that's the type of corner that the Browns should target. A guy that they can put in a very specific role, game plan around his strengths, and I think that could really make the whole defense come together. Another guy really similar to that is Josh Jackson out of Iowa. I'm not sure that the Browns are going to have an opportunity to get him because it sounds like his value is kind of in the mid-first round range. Maybe a trade out of four would be the only option maybe where he can possibly find his way here. Yeah, but I mentioned him also just because that number four pick, if there's a quarterback on the board and maybe the Browns drop down a couple spots, you never know. It's someone that the Browns should keep an eye on because, you know, who knows? If Miami at number 11 wants to move up for quarterback and they give you a great offer, suddenly you're at number 11 and maybe a guy like Josh Jackson is there and he fits your need and you weren't expecting it but he could be an ideal pick at that spot yeah um i, I like the ball from it's kind of actually funny because like josh jackson kind of had the year that mcfadden had in 16 jackson had this year where it was a lot of you know a lot of turnovers caused a lot of interceptions mcfadden you know you're going to want to get inside his head and you know you're going to want to know hey what happened because you know i've talked with a bunch of guys and even the pff guys in grading them they said it wasn't so bad after the Alabama game, but it said once they lost to NC State, once you went and you started looking at players' performances after that, you know everybody kind of maybe checked out because they realized there was nothing really significant that they were playing for. Obviously, it didn't help that that was the same point where their coach started you know staring across to the big state and you know to Texas, obviously the Texas A&M job. So he wasn't really to keep you know able to keep everybody you know together and focused like they needed to be. So you're going to need to get into Tavares McFadden's head and find out exactly where he was at in 17 because, granted, you were never going to expect him to duplicate an eight-interception season. Extremely hard to do at the college level because once you have that reputation, people are going to go away from you. But you're going to want to find out where he is and, you know, 
what exactly happened in 2017. But there's a guy now who's probably going to come in with a chip on his shoulder because once he started in September, he probably thought he was going to go a lot higher than he's probably going to end up going this April. So maybe that 33-35 sweet spot is probably a, you know, a good spot for him. But Josh Jackson, like we said, mid-first round, uh, obviously he's a hot name. As long as he tests well, uh, you know, people are going to love what he put together. It's always nice when you've got that Odell Beckham highlight in, in, in your film that somebody can go to and say, hey, look how special this guy is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's a former receiver. He actually was recruited as a receiver, so it makes sense that he made so many great plays like that. And it's certainly, you know, with that background, you certainly expect him to continue to put up some highlight reel interceptions as he moves on to the pros. Okay, we're going to go in a little deeper here. And, and this is the thing, now, because I'm looking at, and, you know, just, you know, a list I got here in front of me, and there's guys we really haven't brought up. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure you maybe mentioned him before, but Carlton Davis, a guy out of Auburn, Here's a guy I love because he is an in-your-face guy, and he tries to win the game within the first five yards. Yeah, I mean, I could have thrown him into that conversation with Jackson and McFadden, too. He's an option for the Browns in the second round. He kind of plays a similar style. Um, one downside with him, I think, is that he can kind of get a little bit grabby. He's going to learn, have to learn to control that at the next level, and we'll see to what extent that affects his game as he learns to keep his hands off receivers because he... He gets really physical, and the NFL, some of that stuff down the field is going to get him into trouble if he still tries to do it. Um, but, yeah, I really like him. I, I mean, a lot like McFadden, you can say a lot of the same things. He's really good in press, dominates guys that don't want to get involved in those fights at the line of scrimmage. And so, like, especially in the red zone, he's going to be a, a weapon because you can put him on some bigger receivers, and he's going to battle with them. Now, one of my guys, uh, this is probably he's probably – it's not even one of. He is my favorite cornerback in this class. Uh, obviously injured this year, but just plays the position with swagger. He's chippy. Um, if you're a receiver, you better get some completions on him early. Otherwise, he is going to talk your ear off. And that's Jairi Alexander out of Louisville. Just uh, He's fun to watch. I, I think de uh, defense is going to gravitate to a guy like that because he makes plays. Everybody's going to know about it. He's loud. He's boisterous. You know, you know, He's got his little dances. There's a vines out there where he, he celebrates his wins. Just a really, really fun guy to watch. Yeah, definitely. That, I mean, that's a great way to describe him. He's fun. Um, I mean, I, I would also kind of describe him like a tornado on the field. He's a little bit – he's going to make mistakes. He's going to get himself out of position. You don't always know where he's going to go. And, but when he ends up in the right spot at the right time, he causes damage. When when he's gets when he gets it together, he's a really dangerous receiver, and he can lock guys down, and he can make plays. He's just going to have to clean up some mistakes that he makes on the field. He's going to have to play more disciplined. Because um, that fun attitude that he plays with, it, it, it shows up in negative ways also sometimes, I think. Yep. I think that's one of the reasons why, may, that plus the injury, maybe he falls a little bit further, and maybe that does put him in the, a range where the Browns can get him, where it's entering the season, we were thinking you know, he was a, one of the first-round block kind of guys. Um, and actually, on tape, and you know, I go back to the Clemson game 16, had the two picks against uh, you know Deshaun Watson. He gives me, you know, on tape, he gives me a little bit of Sante Samuel vibe. Where it's like, oh, maybe he gave one up, and the next thing you know, where it is, you know, the rubber meets the road, and it's third and eight, and, and game is on the line, and he, he, you know, reads the quarterback before the receiver does, beats the guy to the break. I mean, he's got that type of ability. Just a fun, fun player. Uh, another guy, uh, Isaiah Oliver out of Colorado. I mean, he was a guy, you know, obviously, you know, Colorado sent a slew of defensive backs to the NFL last year, and here's another guy that he basically just stepped up with the opportunity he was given, and he had a really good year as well. 
Yeah, he had a great year. He's one of the guys that I'm really interested to see what he does at the combine, how he tests, because I'm a little bit concerned that maybe he doesn't quite have that start and stop ability to make up for mistakes, and that he's going to have to really play a perfect game to keep up with some number one receivers at the next level. Um, but he could prove me wrong. I mean, it, it happens. Sometimes it's just hard to tell based on the schemes that these guys play and the guys that they get matched up against. Cornerbacks are a really tough position to evaluate. So, you know, he, I'm open to being surprised by him at the combine. Um, but if he doesn't test well, then I think maybe he drops a little bit from where some of the hype is right now. No, I can agree with you there. Um, then there's Hill out of Texas. You know, here's a guy with some nice tape, uh, obviously some off-field, you know, definitely some problems there. But, you know, you know, on tape, this is a guy a lot of people speak very highly of. Yeah, he's a guy, I mean, sort of in the same vein as Alexander that we were talking about. When it all comes together, he looks like the real deal. Um, but it also falls apart on him. I mean, he, he has some reps where he, you know, he takes a false step and it's almost like he doesn't even try to recover or he doesn't know where he's supposed to be and what, what to do next. Um, so he's... He's interesting because <laughs> he could fall, you know, because of the character concerns and whatnot. He could fall all the way to round six, and he could get it together, and it could click for him, and he could be a superstar at the next level. Because with his height and length, that's a dangerous weapon to have, and a guy that you could put on an island. But there's just there's so many questions. I'd be pretty nervous if the Browns targeted him just because I think they need guys that can come in and play right away. And I'm not sure with the, some of the off-field stuff if he's going to be someone you can trust to play right away and also just on-field stuff. I, I think he makes a lot of mistakes and probably is a guy that needs some development before he's ready to be thrown in against some NFL receivers. And the other thing is, though, is when you have a guy like that who's got the off-field issues, is he going to be around to be developed? So that's where you yep. run into that. And look, you know, Josh Gordon, you know, not everybody can take two and a half years off the NFL and walk back into a locker room and play like a top ten wide receiver in the sport. So you know, you know, and one of the old adages, you know, is one of your best abilities is your availability. So you know, Mr. Hill probably going to be a guy they're going to pass on here. This is a name that's kind of coming up here late, and I'm probably sure a lot of it's because everybody's anticipating his forty at the combine. Dante Jackson, Jackson at LSU. Watching him, I like what I see. I don't know if he's top. 50, which is what where people seem to be wanting to put him right now, because of the fact that we may get a you know four in the four twos 40, and you know I, it seems everybody's excited about it, but I'm, I'm actually not that surprised. If you tell me a guy runs track for LSU, that's kind of all I need to know. Like that describes how fast the dude is. I mean LSU track, I think is one of the most predominant track programs in the country. He's been this way for 30 years. So if the guy's fast enough to run LSU track, I understand the dude can move. Not, you know, not so much on tape. I think size-wise, I mean, look, to me, he looks like a nickel corner. You know, maybe he can move around some. But Dante Johnson out of LSU. Yeah, I mean, when you've got speed like that, you're not going to be bad at the next level. You know, like because you've got, like we were saying before, he can recover. I mean, he makes a bad step, and he's going to recover in a couple steps. And, you know pretty easily and he can obviously stay with guys downfield so I do think that his potential would be more than just a slot corner the one concern I have with him is not not only is he kind of short but he's also kind of skinny and they I just say, worry that there's if they say 176 pounds you know you're talking probably under 170 yeah definitely and so I just kind of worry that you know that even some of the guys in the NFL that are, you know like Antonio Brown I mentioned him just because he's in the Browns division 
like if you if you put him on Antonio Brown, he's not big by any means, but I'm pretty confident that he can push around a, a guy who's 170 pounds. Um, so I think that there's just going to be a lot of matchups that even though Jackson has the speed to stick with them, I just think he's going to get beat a lot because you know the good receivers that can win in contested situations, he, Jackson's just not going to have the height or strength to battle with them. Well, that's the other thing, though. Even if these guys catch a short route on them, I mean, you know, these guys, you know, to, to the man, and I can understand why he's smaller. You know, a track guy, the number one wants you to get totally yoked up. But you've got these receivers, you know, and Antonio Brown, I mean, he's a thick dude, you know, one-on-one. I mean, you know, you worry about him planting him in the ground, which, you know, it doesn't, you know, you can have all the speed in the world, but if you're going to run over, it don't matter. Uh, one of the more interesting guys, now you mentioned, obviously, combine and guys you're looking at. Uh, for me, Quentin Meeks out of Stanford. You know, he's got the size, he's got the length, everything about him you like. You know, obviously the tape is pretty good as well. But you know, now here we are, Stanford guy. Is he going to test well enough where you know he's going to raise eyes to the fact that you say, well, maybe that is a starting quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, you know, honestly, I got I got to ask. He's one of the guys that I haven't gotten to yet. Um, okay. His name's kind of you know flown up the charts lately. Um, but from what it sounds like. There's a lot of questions about the, the testing, so I think it's going to just come down to can he run fast enough? I know he's got the height and length. He's one of those guys that I think he's one of those guys that everybody wants to be good because if you're six foot one, two hundred pounds, everybody wants to see you run a four four. Uh, but we'll see if he can do it. If he runs like he's expected to, like four six range, I, I don't know if that's going to cut it. As much as people want to see a six foot one corner succeed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's going to certainly be an issue. Um, you got the Bama, uh, Bama guys. You have Wallace. You have Averett. Everybody kind of wants to talk them up because they're Alabama. But these two guys, I don't see much here that says either one of them are more than day three prospects. I don't care that they went to Alabama. Look, even Alabama is going to run dry, uh, you know, of the player well at a certain position every now and then. And I think that's the case with both these guys. Yeah, I'm with you. I think both of them are a little bit overrated. But if they do fall day three, I, I wouldn't mind seeing the Browns add on this because they need so much depth of the position, I think. Uh, I think with most Alabama guys, you can rely on them being smart. Um, I actually prefer Wallace a little bit more. Okay. Uh, I think I think he might be their best guy coming out. Um, just because he's so technically sound. I mean, you just you so rarely see him take a false step. It seems like he's always just running right with the receivers. I definitely have some questions about how he tests. Um, if he doesn't test well, I think he probably will end up falling to day three. But, you know, at some point, you know, the, the testing matters. It's going to limit you. You know, if you can't run a 4-3, you know, there's certain receivers that you're not going to stick with down the field. But especially if we're talking about a guy that you're only going to bring in for the depth, if you got a guy who's technically sound and that you know that in certain matchups he's always going to be there, he's always going to be around testing the ball, he did a great job of that at Alabama this year. And so... You know, if he does fall in that like fourth, fifth round range for the Browns to take, I'd be happy to have him on the roster for that. Yeah, and the other thing is, is I mean, you know, he's battle tested, and you know the caliber he's played against. You know, maybe start as a special teamer, you know, a spot start here and there if it comes to it. But you know, you're getting a guy with a pretty legitimate resume, so you know he's been in the big spot year in and year out. Um, yeah, I, I feel bad that I actually missed him a little earlier. Uh, MJ Stewart now, and it's actually kind of funny. Him and Mike Hughes. Uh, you know, he, uh, you know, both had the little incident down at UNC. Both have righted the ship and gotten themselves, you know, here to the combine. Stewart with a great week down in Mobile. Uh, I know a lot of guys down there raved about him. Think he probably can play on the outside, but at worst, you have a good nickel cornerback. And this ain't so much a Browns fit; it's so much as just a good football player. 
Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Oh, I'm not okay. super high on Stewart, actually. Uh, he's one of the guys that I think if people were doing tiers like I'm doing, I think a lot of people probably would have him in that tier two range, but I'm not so sure he falls there. I'm not even so sure he's going to be a cornerback. I, I see him struggle to recover from mistakes sometimes. And that worries me because you know, he wasn't going up against a ton of great wide receivers. And, you know, seeing him against some receivers that aren't going to play at the next level, you know, taking false steps and struggling to recover, I, I'm wondering if maybe he's someone that gets, you know, has to learn how to play free safety at the next level in order to be productive. Interesting. All right. Ryan, you ain't, you ain't, here, to, you ain't here to agree with everything. Trust me. I want to <laughs> Trust me, I live with a wife and two girls, so I'm not used to anybody <laughs> agreeing with me ever. Now, Rashawn uh, Golden out of Tennessee, have you gotten to him yet? Because this is a guy with a wide, wide range. Yeah, I right. have watched him. Okay, I mean, I know Dane Brugler has got him in his top 50. I see some other guys are starting to matriculate to bring him up higher. You know, and I'll give Dane credit for this one. I know he's got him up there extremely high. Um, I, I, th I would say right now he's probably a hybrid defensive back. Because you have tape of him doing everything, and he kind of did it well. And he's also a guy that's kind of getting lost in the shuffle because, you know, I mean, you know, a spade's a spade. Tennessee was a crappy program the last couple of years. Yeah, I was surprised that Payne said he had him in the top 50. I don't that, that, know was the that, first reason, that was the first reason I went looking for some Rashawn Golden type because it's like, <laughs> I barely know this cat's name. And I know I watched Tennessee, and it was just, you know, I probably tuned him out because they were that bad. Yeah, I mean, when you watch Tennessee, he definitely stands out because you can tell that he's such a good athlete. Um, and he's moved around, and that versatility, if, if he falls to day three, that versatility makes him extremely valuable because now you're drafting a guy to be backup, play on special teams, and he's moved around the field and can do a lot. And that's a huge asset. That's what you're looking for on day three. But in the top 50, I don't know, because to an extent, I, I think he's sort of a guy without a true position. He can play corner and he can play safety, but I don't, I don't know that he's polished enough at either spot to do it. He's just kind of, he bounces all around the field. Um, he makes a lot of mistakes when he's in man coverage, to be honest. I, I really don't know that I would trust putting him on the field as a cornerback early in his career because he seems to be playing street ball out there. Like, I don't think he really knows the fundamentals of playing cornerback right now. He just kind of tries to follow his man around and do what he does, and he's athletic enough to get away with it a lot. Um, but against a good receiver, man, he, he got beat. I mean, he got spun around sometimes. Um, so if, if that's the consensus that he's going to be a top 50 player, I want to stay away because I don't think he's someone that you could trust to run the field. If he falls to day three, or day three though, I'm all for it. Like I said, there you're drafting versatility, and that's a huge asset that you definitely bring to the table. Well, and maybe it's also, maybe part of it is, is and this is what happens sometimes when you have a well-known bigger program that's going through tough times is, you know, maybe somebody looks the best of what's there, but then maybe once you get him away from that, you realize, well, all right, that's not saying much that he was the best of what's there, you know, because now you view him against guys who were his peers. I think the thing I like is that you have versatility. So if you have a defensive coordinator that says, you know what, I know he can play some corner, I know he can play some safety, I know he can play some nickel. You can mix and match. You know he's a good roster guy in that spot. Obviously, you know you, you know you know as a defensive back, you can use him on special teams. He can fill in anywhere, and then you hopefully eventually get him to a home of a position. Uh, any cornerback you want to hit on here? Because actually, there was a you know really good uh, listener question I want to uh, 
get to here before we wrap this up. But was there anything anybody you know you feel you know you're gonna feel upset if you didn't bring up tonight? Uh, yeah, there's actually one other guy that I wrote down that we haven't talked about yet. Duke Dawson out of Florida. Um, I have him in like sort of my tier three range, like maybe a guy that maybe you consider in the third round, but maybe falls in day three. Um, he's a guy that I don't think he's going to test well, which is why I think there's a chance he's available on day three, and he's kind of short too. Um, but he's really technically sound, and he battled against some good receivers. He really he shut down Christian Kirk in that Florida Texas A&M game, and that really jumped out to me to see a guy who I know he's not athletic as Christian Kirk. There's no doubt about that, and yet he found ways to stick with him and to give him trouble. I mean, physical line of scrimmage, throwing him off his route just enough. He threw off some of those timing routes that Christian Kirk gets open on. Um, and so I think he'd be an interesting guy to bring in day three and develop and see what you can get out of a guy who maybe doesn't have the prototypical measurables, but seems to be a really smart player and knows how to get the most out of what he does have. Okay, yeah. Well, I, would, I mean, come on, Ryan. I was never going to run to bring up a Gator. So if somebody else <laughs> wants to bring up a Gator or a Cane, they're more than welcome to. I'm in no hurry to do it. Guys, uh, Locked On Draft, uh, John Leddy, a good friend of mine, Trevor Sakema, both guys, great guys. They do a fantastic job with the show. Uh, check them out. Uh, you know, doing four to five shows a week, busy as heck here now. I know they were both down in Mobile. I'm pretty sure both are actually headed to Indy for the Combine, so you're going to get a lot of info that way. So go ahead, uh, you know, get your ears on Locked On Draft with both John and Trevor. Fantastic guys, do even better work. Now, this is the question we have, and, and this is one in... And you know what? I mean, everyone thinks to answer it and bring it up. But here, and this is uh, Ken Brown. Why do some aspects of national media, and you know, this is almost what I get to yesterday with Prisco's mock of Josh Allen at one, is it slightly a, uh, uh, well, the Browns type of thing? But, you know, to finish Ken's uh, tweet, why do some aspects of national media continue with the you don't want to end up in Cleveland narrative? And, you know, does it hurt as far as how draft prospects view Cleveland, and will it hurt in free agency? Oh, man, we could we could do it. Oh, we could do it. Exactly. This would have been another forty <laughs> yeah. minutes. Yep. Um, and this is a topic that I'm act- I'm pretty interested in, just because of my background in the media. I, well, my first job out of college was actually at ESPN. I worked in the stats and information department there. I'm sure a lot of people followed that uh, ESPN that stats and info. It's actually Twitter. a great Twitter account. Yeah, it is, and that's the department that I worked in. At the time I was there, there were about forty researchers in that department. And basically, there's a researcher assigned to every show. So, like, if you're watching the 6 o'clock sports center, there's a researcher assigned to the show today to work with the anchors that are on air and the producers sort of script the show, answer questions, kind of, like, guide the show. Um, so I got to know a lot of the guys that were on air. And I think the best way I can answer that question is there's a disappointing percentage of people in those positions on air that could not care less about their job. They show up because it's a really cool thing to do after your playing days are over. You get to collect a nice paycheck from ESPN. You get to talk sports, hang out with your boys. Uh, but they Harass show the up. interns. Yeah they, <laughs> yeah. they show up. They do their job. They talk some sports. They go home, and they don't think about it. Uh, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, and just like to give you a more concrete example, there was one guy. I won't use his name, but there was a guy when I was working on college basketball there who would come in with, like, the rundown for his show, and he'd sit down um, with the... He'd come into the research room and figure out who his researcher was for the day. He was actually a really nice guy. I didn't mind working with him, but he would talk to you about the different topics they were going to hit in the show, and he'd be like, all right, uh, we're talking about Duke today. What do I think about Duke? 
uh, all right, what, what do I think about North Carolina? Uh-huh. And we would give him our opinions, and he would take notes on what our opinions were, and then just repeat it on air. Because he didn't watch college basketball. He didn't care about college basketball. It was just a nice thing to do because he was retired, and it was easy, and it was a paycheck. And he looked good in the suit. Yeah. <laughs> and so the stuff that, they say, that these guys say about the Browns, it's been a talking point for 20 years now. And so when the Browns get brought up, let's be honest, they haven't watched the Browns. So all they have to say about the Browns is, oh, there go the Browns again, kind of thing. And it's just, it's a cliche, essentially, because it's been that way for so long now that it's just easy for them to say that. Um, whereas, I mean, you can really tell who the guys are. Like, if, if you think I'm talking about someone that you've thought this about, it's they probably fall in that category. And then there's other guys, like, to give an example, someone like Lewis Riddick, you hear him talk, and you know that he does his homework. And you know, I haven't heard him talk about the Browns, but I would bet if you asked him about the Browns, he wouldn't just give you that, oh, you know, it's just Cleveland being Cleveland. I bet you he would give a much more thought-out uh, answer about where they are as a team and the depth and all the money and the picks that they have. And, you know, those, those guys that actually do their homework are, you know, they're singing a much different tune about where the Browns are at because, you know, those of us that have watched them and followed them, we know that there's some talent on the roster and they've got an awful lot of assets. They're... They're not the worst team going into this offseason when you factor in all the players that we know they're going to add with the money and the picks. And not to so, mention, and the coverage not there. It's not like, you know, everyone keeps thinking it's an expansion roster, and that's the part that drives me crazy. Yeah, it's not an expansion roster. There's talent there, and there's a ton of assets that they're going to be able to add this offseason. They're going to be a much better team. I'm confident of it. It may only result in, you know, six, seven wins. Just at yeah, it's going to be a lot of new guys coming together, and there's going to be some growing pains there, especially if a rookie quarterback is on the field from day one. But they're going to be fun to watch. I mean, it's going to look like a very different team, I think. There's going to be times where you watch the light go on, and that's going to be the fun part, where, you, you know, with a couple more pieces on defense and you know, you hope you get the continued health of these guys, there's going to be times where you see that and you're going to be like, wow, and, you know, that should stand out. Um, the thing for me where I kind of saw this was, the show I did after they lost to the Jets, I mean, I went on and I was furious. I was aggravated. I was I was pissed off because it was a game they should have won. They left points on the board. You know, Hugh mismanaged everything. You know, they they basically just basically just said to the Jets, "Here you go, beat us," because we're used to being beaten. And I even had some guys come back. Well, well, this is kind of how the way the team is. And I was like, "Oh my God, we, you don't want better." You guys don't want better than this? <laughs> I mean, because for me, that's what drove me back crazy. It was just, you know, it was like, well, you guys complain about you never win. Why is nobody pissed off when you leave a W on the field like they did? Yeah, I know we've both talked about this before. That was not knowing 16 team last year. <laughs> and, you know, I think part of it was you had a rookie quarterback and not a very good one at that. There were games, I mean, especially towards the end of the season, I don't know how many times Kaiser had the fourth quarter fumbles and interceptions that just killed him. I think that Jaguars game really stood out to me. That was a game that they had a chance to win against. Our, yeah, yeah. I mean, that Jaguars game, they were in it. They had the ball relatively late with a chance to take the lead against a really good team. And, yeah, I think it was two straight fumbles or maybe a fumble and an interception, and yep. just like the game completely fell apart. And those are those mistakes, a lot of those are going to be cleaned up next year. You know? You've got a lot of young players that are going to have another year in the belt. There's going to be a better quarterback under center. Whoever it is, I know it's going to be better. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they're, gonna, they're talented, and it's going to be a huge improvement, I think. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. I'm, I'm extremely excited for this offseason with all the assets and all the things they can do. 
Uh, guys, Ryan McChrystal, follow him at Ryan McChrystal. Uh, read all his work at Bleacher Report. Does a fantastic job over there. And at the end of the day, guys, he's one of us. He, he gets it. He knows what's going on here. Uh, appreciate everything, guys. All the support towards the show. Follow the at Locked On Browns account. Follow the personal account at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, cannot thank you guys enough for the support this week. Um, even though it's February, 28 days in this month, shortest month of the year. Right now, we are up 95% listenership for the month. Uh, should be the biggest month yet again, which I was a little concerned about with a shorter month. But uh, obviously, you guys are enjoying what we're putting out here show-wise. Cannot thank you enough. For Ryan, for myself, all you guys, have a great Friday evening. Go ahead, bake open the libations, have a couple of cold ones. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, maybe we'll record something or two over the weekend. We'll see how the plans work out. But otherwise, we'll be back at it Monday night. Thanks, everybody, for your support. Let's go Browns.